Welcome to the Freudian Slip, the Identity Theft Resource Center's podcast where we talk about all things identity compromise, crime, and fraud, including the impact identity issues have on people and businesses. I'm James Lee, the COO of the ITRC, and we're glad to have you back for the second year of our podcast. It's a pretty safe bet to say most people are glad to have 2020 in the rearview mirror, especially the millions of people who contacted the Federal Trade Commission with reports of fraud. In 2019, 3.2 million people contacted the FTC. The top concern was identity theft, and that accounted for about 20% of all reports to the FTC. Less than a year later, at the end of the third quarter in 2020, more than 3 million people had already contacted the FTC. Of those reports, 30% concerned identity theft, and that was with three months left in the year. Now, as we roll into 2021, we know that many factors that boosted fraud and identity theft reports last year, they remain an issue. Among them, of course, is the COVID-19 pandemic. The FTC and the ITRC both saw growing numbers of people reporting identity theft involving unemployment benefits, government stimulus checks, and other COVID-19-related issues. At the ITRC, we saw complaints about unemployment benefit fraud grow last year from a number you could usually count on just your fingers to nearly 1,000 by the end of the year. So what does all this mean for consumers? Well, today we're going to talk about just that and about the precautions you can take to protect yourself from identity theft. And now's a great time for this conversation because the first week of February is Identity Theft Awareness Week. Joining us today to talk about these issues is the ITRC's CEO, Eva Velasquez, and Shamika Walker, the Identity Theft Program Manager from the Federal Trade Commission in Washington, D.C. So thanks to both of you for being here today. Thank you, James. Happy to be here. Yes, thank you, James, for having me. Shamika, we're going to start with you. You're the guest. The, the FTC collects a lot of data, and you report that through a system you call Sentinel. And that data has shown a long-term trend of increased identity-related fraud. But there was a big surge in the early parts of 2020, as we talked about. Now, I know we don't have the, year, the, the full year data yet, but I have to assume that a lot of that was COVID-related. Is, is that true? Yes, James. So, you know, reports to the FTC about identity theft have been on the upswing for the past couple of years. And, you know, several several factors play a role, but there's no doubt that in 2020, COVID-19 helped fuel that surge. Um, and we're still working out our data, but you know, in, in 2019, we received about 700,000 identity theft reports. But in 2020, it's 1.4 million that we received. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, you know, like I said, we're still like crunching the numbers here, but unemployment insurance identity theft was a huge driver in the spike of those reports. Um, and for example, you know, in the first quarter of 2020, we had, you know, 30, around 3,200 uh, identity, I mean, unemployment insurance identity theft reports. But then by the fourth quarter, we had over 230,000 of those kind of reports. Oh so, um, you know, unemployment insurance, so many people are unemployed because of the pandemic. Therefore, you know, there was a lot of identity theft related to unemployment insurance, and we saw it um, reported to the FTC. So, Eva, how does that compare with what we saw at the ITRC? You know, because we just set a, a, a new record for number of 
victims that we assisted and also helping you know people avoid identity uh, issues. Uh, did we see that same kind of surge that we think was COVID-related? We did, and our experience mirrors what the FTC has been seeing. Of course, to Shamika's point, we were seeing increases in identity crimes and re-victimization rates before the pandemic occurred. And the pandemic and the relief dollars just added fuel to that fire. So we too saw unemployment identity theft complaints just absolutely skyrocket. We went from uh, getting you know anywhere from 15 to 20 complaints from the public per year. I mean, it has always been around, but it wasn't terribly lucrative. So when you add all of these factors that were created by the pandemic, the relief money, the uh, scaling down or removing altogether some of the authentication and verification practices that the states were doing, that created this perfect opportunity. And that's how we then saw our complaint rates and victimization rates going from around 20 individuals in a calendar year to over a thousand. And while it it wasn't all pandemic related. Not everyone that contacted us and needed our assistance uh, was dealing with an identity theft issue that we were looking at going, oh, this has to be related to the pandemic. The vast majority of it was. So the, the risks for consumers, they changed, but they also grew. And the, and the types of identity crimes that they experienced changed and grew, unemployment ID theft being one, and then things related to the stimulus checks and having their identity credentials misused in like the IRS platform. We saw that grow exponentially as well. So um, unfortunately, the ITRC and the FTC are seeing a lot of the same trends. Yeah. Shamika, one of the statistics that the FTC publishes every year is how many people lose money due to fraud and, and how much that is on average. Um, and you also break that out by age group usually. And I've always found it interesting that, you know, younger people tend to fall for fraud on a more frequent basis, but older people tend to lose more money. And I, I gather that's because, you know, they, they probably have more resources uh, in doing so. But are we going to, when we see the 2021 numbers, do you think we'll see those same kinds of trends or will we see new trends and, and because of all this money that particularly was uh, uh, injected because of the pandemic, are we going to see that dollar value go up? You know, I think so, because by the end of the third quarter last year, um, we already had um, received reports of over $1.5 billion in loss. And so um, there are still three more, uh, there are three months of data that we didn't have um, uh, to calculate at the t- you know at the time, um, and so that the age group. So you're right. I think younger people um, tend to report uh, more fraud, but when there's loss, um, some older Americans sometimes have more loss. And so um, the age category of 60 to 69 reported about 193 million dollars of loss for the first three quarters of last year. Those numbers are just eye popping. I mean, I mean, it, they've they've always been high, higher than anybody would ever want them to be. But you're talking about orders of magnitude higher in terms of reports and also in terms of the dollar value. That's just amazing. Um, I'm going to throw you a curveball here, um, both of you. 
so I'll, I'll, I'll pause and give you a chance to reflect um, before you answer. But do we think we will see these rates go down? Or is this going to be something that will be with us for a while? Well, while Shamika is pondering that, um, I have a, a, it's sort of a question and a hypothesis. So I am wondering if some of the, the disparity in reporting, we we're talking about younger people reporting maybe more often, but less dollar amount and older people seem to lose more. I, I have often wondered if where is the threshold, the pain threshold, and how many older people did lose small dollar amounts but didn't report it because it was easy for them to absorb? Maybe they lost $25, $50, $75, but it wasn't worth the effort to report because it didn't have a big impact on them, to your point, James, because they have more resources. And with all of the attention that's been paid right now to fraud and identity crimes and the scams that are going on, will we have a you know new um, will we have folks more willing to report, understanding that that even though they can recover from the loss, it's so important for us to capture this information that they're just going to be more inclined to report. So I am wondering if we're going to continue to see these numbers stay higher. Uh, because people are getting more used to reporting and just more acclimated to it. Like this is the world that we live in and it's my duty to report this, even if I have recovered financially. Shamika, now, now here's your chance. <laughs> uh, yes. So to Eva's point, um, I think that, you know, obviously part of both at the IATRC and the FTC, that's why we want, it's so important for us to get the message out to, um, to, cre to create awareness about identity theft and you know fraud in general and how you can report both identity theft and fraud and so that people can understand what to do and understand how it's important um, not just to help themselves but to to help other americans that might also be suffering as well um, with respect to what we can um, see in terms of the loss i think that as long as the pandemic is around um, and it seems like it's going to be around at least uh, through the first half of this year um, I'm no medical expert, but, you know, um, until we can get everyone vaccinated and get the virus under control, I think, unfortunately, the same types of identity theft that we are seeing related to the COVID-19 pandemic will continue. And so I don't think that we'll see um, trends go down until the virus gets under control. Well, and, you know, that brings up another thought, which is a lot of the trends that have been, you know, these tectonic shifts in how we live and how we work and how we engage online. Even when we have the pandemic under control, those some of those shifts are going to stay in place. And so that may also contribute to higher reporting rates. And it could be the one silver lining out of this whole mess is that we get a better handle on what the true fraud incident and, and rates of occurrence are because Shamika, James, we all know that these numbers are baseline. They're a floor. The, these things are underreported. So these are the minimum of what has actually occurred. Well, and you raise an interesting point there, uh, talking about the broader shifts that may stay. We've seen these increases. We've just talked about the increases in fraud uh, that's related to identity issues, but there have been a lot of other broad 
societal changes and some of which are going to stay that way. And one of them is working from home. Uh, Eva, is there anything in the ITRC's number, which gives us an indication on how much of an impact working from home is having on people? Well, when we look at all of the different ways that we interact with the public and all of the data that we collect. And when I'm talking about data, I'm not talking about individual PII. We certainly don't collect that, but we do and have been collecting data on data breaches, publicly reported data breaches for the last 15 years. And we've been also looking at, you know, cyber crime rates and seeing the ransomware and phishing attacks, which I, which I know we'll probably get to later in the conversation, but the the impact has changed the risks and the way that thieves victimize people. And with a work from home workforce, that is very likely to continue. So, you know, we saw this, this newly stood up workforce where people just heretofore were not familiar with these now necessary technology platforms. There were a lot of people that simply had never had a Zoom meeting because it wasn't necessary for them to engage with their colleagues and, and their clients. And in the way we weren't prepared adequately or trained. So the best example I can give is, um, you know, we have, we at the ITRC have uh, worked remotely off and on for a number of years. We provide services all across the country. So we were, and we're in this space. So we were a lot more familiar with it, but I noticed that I have always had my desk phone uh, let me know through my email, give me the trigger notification in my email that I've received a voicemail message. I knew what that looked like. I knew what the legitimate message looked like in my email. I saw so many illegitimate phishing attempts for just for that particular type. You have a new voicemail message. And we talked to people who they had never had that before. They didn't need it. So they did not know what the, they, they could not discern the legitimate incoming communication from the scams. And that just created this, this huge vulnerability. And we've gotten better. More people are educated. But let's think about it. If we continue to work from home, which many people will, it is still going to be a big vulnerability that can only be addressed by education and by businesses and organizations showing their staff and their employees, you know, this is what a legitimate request looks like. And this is how you verify that request. And it's going to vary from, you know, organization to organization. So yes, we do think that the beyond the pandemic, that there's going to be a huge impact and working from home is going to be one of the drivers. Shamika, same question for you. What What is the FTC, what's, what's the view from what you've seen over the past year, the role of work from home in these kinds of uh, uh, increase in, in fraud? Uh, or is it just as simple as there's a lot more money in the economy and the bad guys wanted to steal it? So is, is it is it work from home or is it just good old fashioned greed? I mean, I think it's probably a combination of both. But, you know, if millions of people found themselves online working from home um, this past year who have not been working from home before, as um, Eva mentioned. So this was a new situation for many Americans. Um, and it's it served as an important reminder that as many of us continue to work from home for the foreseeable future, that we need to make sure that we have um, secure Internet connections, you know, secure devices at home, um, 
by implementing a firewall and st installing antivirus software, you know, um, installing updates and patches, things that if you're in the office, you know, are done maybe by your IT department. But it just serves as a reminder that we need to do those things at home too. And those things, um, you know, having secure network um, and secure, I'm sorry, internet connection at home can help reduce your risk of identity theft. Um, you know, it's always going to be there, but there's just more opportunity now that so many of us are at home. Shamika, I have to tell you, you are probably making James Hart sing because he is always talking about patches. Patches, <laughs> patches, patches. And so when I heard you mention that, I went, I can't see him, but I know James is smiling. Yeah. Can, can, can you feel the smile? Yeah, it, it is. It is one of my things that I just I, I, I rail on all the time. Um I don't know, maybe it's my obsessive compulsive nature or something, but when I see that little red dot, you know, I got to update. Um, <laughs> and, and it's funny because not just, you know, those of us who are working from home, but also people who have children who are using, who are, you know, doing school at home and using devices. Um, so I know some school systems, my own children's uh, schools, school district emails us when it's time for an up in update, you know, um, or patch and tells us like what we have to do with the computers to make sure that they're secure. Um, so I, of course, as a, uh, data security and privacy attorney, I was happy to see that. Um, but not everybody's sending out reminders, um, for people. Yeah. Well, and that's a great, that is a great best practice because you're right. This is, this is so foreign and particularly, vulnerable are school districts. When you look at the statistics around who are the targets of the professional cyber uh, cyber criminals, school districts are, are usually number two or number three on that list. Um, both colleges, universities, high schools, all the way down to elementary schools. So it, it is a, it is an important issue. And, and it kind of brings us into this, the, 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 the next uh, set, set of questions here, because we have seen actual, the actual number of data breaches where they're after mass amounts of consumer information. Those have been going down. They've been trending down for a while, but they're really down this year. Uh, and the number of people impacted by those mass kinds of uh, data theft are way down. So if, if, you, if you think of it, that the, the raw number of data breaches is down about 20%, but the number of people impacted is down two thirds, down 66%, just year over year. That could lead some people to say, I don't have to worry. But that's not true because what's really happening is it's not that the data thieves, it's not that the people who are going to commit identity crimes have stopped. It's that they have changed their tactics. And that means we have to change how we protect ourselves. So, yeah, uh, Eva, I'll start with you. What does that really mean for consumers when we say, you have to change the way you protect yourself. Well, the first thing I want to comment on is, yes, you're, you're absolutely correct. We, we have reviewed the data together that these drops are real and that things are changing. But I do want to make sure that consumers understand that that doesn't mean this risk has completely evaporated. The, the standard techniques, they still exist and they are still being used. They're just not as prevalent. So that, that complacency mindset, I think it's really, really important for organizations like ITRC and like the FTC to make sure that we explain the situation to consumers so they understand, but also that we don't um, give the impression that 
they don't need to worry. So the standard advice of protecting your PII, not oversharing, those things still apply because they are still, these, these types of thefts and misuses are still occurring. But it's ransomware and phishing that have really gone through the roof. It's that new, this new tactic, the methods have changed. Um, and again, not the time for complacency. So, you know, when I'm looking at the, the phishing and ransomware um, issue, the other thing that concerns me is that people will think that the, the targets are tending to be businesses, but how do you get to a business? It's through their employees. That is still the weakest link. So for folks listening who think, well, great, general consumers are no longer the targets. It's we're, They're targeting businesses. They will still use you as a vehicle. And that can still have an impact on you, even if it ends up being your business that the company that you work for that feels the financial impact, those things trickle down and they, they trickle down. Uh, you know, sometimes these can be business ending events um, and, and then you don't have a job. So it is definitely going to impact you, even though the phishing and the ransomware is definitely more focused on getting business data and infiltrating business systems than it is on collecting individual consumer data and leveraging that. Um, Shamika, you know, we've talked a lot about 2020, but no, we're now in 2021. Um, from the point of view of the FTC, what is it that consumers really need to be focusing on to protect themselves this year? I've already mentioned uh, about keeping internet connection secure and up to date and other steps that people can take um, you know, just the, I think, general message would be not to give out your personal information unless you know what you, who you're dealing with, uh, to shred financial documents, use strong passwords. Um, like Eva was mentioning, don't click on links um, that are sent in unsolicited text messages or emails, and to monitor uh, accounts and review financial statements regularly, um, which includes checking your credit reports, of course, um, during the pandemic. Um, now through April, um, you can check those for free weekly at um, annualcreditreport.com. Eva, I'll give you the last shot. What's your what are your what are your parting words of advice? Well, everything that Shamika said, because she's she's echoing the fact that a lot all of the standard advice still applies and it's still necessary and needed. But I would also advise employers, please educate your 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 teams, your employees, and your work staff. And if you have the authority to turn on multi-factor authentication, please do so. It can be so, so beneficial. And it's just, it's one thing that you can do that can have a big impact. And then I would advise, um, you know, individuals, employees, take, take advantage of training that your workplace is offering. And you can apply those principles, not just at work, you can take that training that you're getting from work and you can apply it at home. And then lastly, just, you know, this is a really complicated space. And if you encounter something, you don't have to figure this out on your own. This is why places like the ITRC and the FTC exist. It is to provide these free services to help people not only to recover, if you're a victim and need recovery services, we both can help with that, but also to just understand the space better, understand what your risks are, and follow the tips to minimize them. I just tell people, don't be too embarrassed to ask for help. Eva, Shamika, 
Thank you for joining us today. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for having me as a guest. I really appreciate it. And of course, I would be looking forward to um, joining you all again in the future. Thank you, Shamika. We really appreciate everything you do and everything the FTC does for consumers and for the public. Okay. I'm going to run through a series of web addresses to give you some great tools here. So hang with us just a second longer. You can learn more about the fraud and identity theft trends that the FTC tracks at ftc.gov forward slash explore data. For tips to report and recover from identity theft, visit identitytheft.gov. Again, it's G-O-V. If you need to report something, the reportfraud.ftc.gov is the federal government's website where you can report fraud, scams, and just bad business practices. You can visit consumer.ftc.gov to find tips and learn how to avoid those scams. You can also learn how to protect yourself from identity fraud, crimes, and compromises by visiting the ITRC's website at idtheftcenter.org, where you can also read more about the latest data breach trends. Be sure and join us next week for our weekly breach breakdown podcast and next month for the next episode of the Fraudian Slip. Thank you for listening.